<laughs> Everybody! <laughs> all the... All, all the dudes and dudettes. This is uh, the Super Best Friend Music Show. I'm Joe Pilata. I'm here with my co-hosts, uh, Alan Richardson and Dana Slattery. hey What's up, everybody? And today we are... Uh, so, well, the show is we every week we are super best friends and we talk about... Uh, an album that we really like, and then we get really sidetracked at, at some point. I mean, we never do that, but we sometimes do that. And uh, we sometimes get sidetracked and discuss the album. Yeah, <laughs> by accident we. Yeah. Oh no, I fell and landed on all this research. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll talk about it. <laughs> that is extremely accurate. <laughs> Teacher, Joe's hiding homework. Oh, well, I just thought in case. <laughs> Just a case. <laughs> and obviously, there's something special about tonight's episode. Oh, because this is a Super Best Friend music show, After Dark. After Dark. After Dark. Yeah, it just oh, means Ellen that... definitely has the sexiest voice there. After Dark. Do you have seen that one? Yeah, all day, honestly. Wait, I've been saying... texting it. That's why I've been texting it like that. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> with my own echo. It's not sexy to come in with the energy of a golden retriever, like... <laughs> it's after dark, everybody. Hey, 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 it's after dark. Uh, would you like me to read some erotic fiction? <laughs> I can only imagine what it's like to, to share a bed with you, Joe. Oh, um, that's not where I thought you were going to go with that, but the enthusiasm of Joe's sexy golden retriever attitude. I think we actually share a bed with Joe every time we record this because like, I'm pretty uh, sure he records it in his bed. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say we're like the grandparents from Willy Wonka. We just all record this from one giant bed. I wish that were true. I can't wait till we After get to do that. After this damn pandemic is yeah. over. Once we're all fully vaxxed, we're all going to get in that one big bed. Yeah. With our nightcaps yeah. and nightgowns. Yeah, every time, just for the listeners at home, you can't see this, but we're all currently wearing long gowns and hats that have this lengthy bobble. <laughs> Very, Mine's pinstriped. It's just uh it's just a couple of scrooges. <laughs> and uh, it's And it's a, all lit by candlelight. Yes, none of us have access to electricity. And ghostly specters. <laughs> it's all recorded on wax cylinders that we send to each other in the mail. <laughs> what is this Jack White's podcast? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That is how you would do a podcast. That like... is how he would do a podcast, definitely. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, that thing. Didn't he, he released something with Neil Young, like, in 2015 or something that, like, was recorded on, like, old-timey, like, in, like, a wax cylinder recording booth. Yeah, in those old booths, yeah. Yeah, old-timey. I think you can go down to Third Man Records and record in one of those booths. That's kind of cool. I think he has I it, guess. like, refurbished and set up. Have either of you guys ever been there? No. No, I would like to. I Joe, you didn't? Either. I didn't. Uh, That's I didn't surprising to hear, I'm Joe. Sorry. I thought this was going to be a segue into Joe's big dumb comedy blog. Nope. That is what That's it's what called, right? That's what I was shooting right? for. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Joe's <laughs> 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 fucking piece of shit comedy blog. Yeah, that, that's the right. one. That's the one. <laughs> What's that Joe's dumb shit log? <laughs> I, I went to Motown and Sun, but I didn't go to Third Man Records. Okay. You probably made the right choice there. It looks and like from what I've heard, it's like a Chuck E. Cheese for like record nerds. That and 
doesn't yeah. sound bad. Is there like an yeah, an, is there like an animatronic uh, Neil Young? Pizza? <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there's a, an animatronic John Lee Hooker in here. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, but it's like all like you know white and black, like it, and they apparently have stuff like you know wax cylinder recording booths. Yeah, well, he's got like that seven inch record that's inside of <laughs> Thursday. Let's check. Sorry. Uh, they have uh, the seven inch record that comes inside of a twelve inch record, so you can play the twelve inch, but then you have to crack it open, and there's a seven inch inside right. of it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Jack White's whole thing is like, can we do this? But never should we. Yeah, like, it's know, an old Pat and Oswald line of saying science is all about coulda, not never shoulda. Yeah. <laughs> did you? Uh... Did you know that, like, Monty Python, when they, like, put things out on vinyl, like, when they first released their, like, comedy albums, they, uh, they intentionally recorded in, like, the negative space, like, the grooves that, like, aren't normally used, so every time you listen to it, you would hear a different album, because depending on where you put the needle, like, there's, like... weird. I and see. They, That's interesting. And they just wanted to make people feel like they were going crazy because they'd listen to it. They'd be like, "There, where's that song I heard last time?" <laughs> so like, they're like, it's just funny, like, from like a technical standpoint. Yeah. That's, see, that's, that's kind of cool. But like, yeah, that's different. Know. That's like, yeah, that's <laughs> functional. That's functional as a comedy prank. But that's the thing. I don't think yeah. Jack White realized this that he's accidentally doing comedy. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's yeah. just trolling people. <laughs> Oh, it's like even like the end of Sergeant Pepper, where at the end it's um uh, the lock groove. Yeah, and yeah. people thought it was broken and classic. Yeah, it's um, good stuff. Anyway, uh, in addition to our non uh, derailments. Yeah, what are we covering the... today? <laughs> oh yeah, so today we are going to be talking about uh, the debut album by the Slits, uh, British punk band first all-female punk band which is very exciting Get that horrible name i oh, I, I love it it's like a great punk name like just like the vague sexuality and violence all in four five letters like just like yeah. there you go that's just exactly what you want out of a punk name uh, and the album is called cut oh god <laughs> oh, yeah. another horrible word <laughs> We uh, uh, back in my day, bird was the word. <laughs> yes, well, I did invite my two elderly aunts to record. <laughs> they are dowagers. <laughs> Don't tell them our ages. <laughs> oh, <laughs> let's just say they know a thing or two. <laughs> they are dowagers. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what a dowager does, but. That's my odds for And you. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I prefer crone. <laughs> now let's hear about these slits. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, first of all, did you guys know this album before the podcast? Or was this your first time diving into the cut? Ugh. Ah! Good God. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it was my first time having actually listened to it. I had like known the slits by name only, just like sort of their place in the punk world and um, more firsthand their place in the record collecting world where their records and even CDs are very collectible and very expensive. Um, but first time I actually 
heard the album you know i just i don't i generally just don't touch punk there's just really i feel like there's not much there for me yeah there are like you know there are a few exceptions um like you know i don't know it's like people who are like i like everything except rap and country it's like it's always that (laughs) yeah it's it is always that um with me it's like i don't know i just have like a uh, prejudice, not right. Maybe that's not right. But just something about punk is just like uh, I don't know. Like I, I, I really respect and appreciate like the the attitude, and like I think that that is you know a lot of what punk is, if not all of what punk is, you know. Uh, and I really felt that way about. Well, we can get into this album after, but um, yeah, I just like. I feel like musically there's not much for me there generally, but I do very much like the attitude. Um, but I was surprised at how much I really enjoyed this album, oh, to be honest. Yay. So maybe I should eat my own fucking words and, you know, just Whew. chill out and listen to some more. I was, but, um, I was like, sitting on, uh, like, pins and needles. I was really like, oh, I made Dana listen to something <laughs> she hated. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I definitely didn't feel that way. And like I said, like, there are you know exceptions to any what you, rule are there what do you think is the punk that made you not like punk like for uh, me like you know the way like people have a prejudice against country because of like garth brooks pop country or like i like yeah. I, I don't i didn't listen to rap forever because of like people like little wayne and that era of rap where it's like this is the most obnoxious egotistical baloney yeah baloney (laughs) um yeah i don't really know it might actually just be more so like the fans yeah i was was aging punks like that yeah especially where you're we're from like new hampshire and mass have some real shitty hardcore and punk groups of people that's what i was i was gonna wonder if you like if it was bad experiences with like scenes because i've certainly had those like growing up as like a punk kid like there's a lot of toxicity in local punk scenes i mean joe you you you've lived in forever 20 land in alston oh yes i was like 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 the clothing store (laughs) (laughs) that's forever 21 that's just outside of alston and brighton Oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's like the Emerald Castle, just like yeah. you can always see it but never quite get there. <laughs> but uh Yeah, no, just like really nothing I mean, not so much to do with the music necessarily. I guess more so it's a prejudice against like punks <laughs> in yeah. general. That is uh as someone who loves punk, that's totally fair. And I wanted to talk about during this episode i want to talk about the album but i want to do like a little mini dive into just like the history of punk because i i was surprised at how frankly little or how many misconceptions i had and then like when i was diving into this i learned a lot more and there's some there's some stories that come out um through uh the band and like their relationship to other punk bands that are really interesting and uh, they don't always have the same stories, the, the four women, uh, and so that's fun, and I, I'm excited to talk about that. And I, I think you see a lot of what is good and bad of punk in the story of the slit, so I, I kind of wanted to go through that. And I think that that's, um, 
that's cool that we're not all coming at this from like the like we're not all like coming at this from the same uh, point of experience. Yeah, I'm absolutely interested to learn more because like, you know, I would say I'm pretty knowledgeable about a lot of music and punk is just the one that I just like, I got almost nothing, you know, like it's just, I mean, maybe like, you know, I could flip through like a punk bin and, you know, find something that I could talk about a little bit. But in general, it's like I just, you know, I keep it at at arm's length. Sure. I'm excited to learn more about and it. And how about you, Alan? What was your prior experience with the Slits? So all I really knew was their cover of Heard It Through the Grapevine, which I don't know I don't know why I knew that. Should I play some I don't know it? how I come across it how I came across it. Um, I'm sure it's just from random searches of that one song. It's but a great cover. It's, it's a, a great fun cover. Cover, yeah. But when yeah. I went to listen to this album, like it, it sounded a little f- like it, it looked very familiar, um, which I guess might have just been from hearing this song. But I didn't really know him, but I did enjoy it. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to have this in the background while we were talking. But so, but you are a punk guy or like it's just like something or you just like the clash because we've talked about that before yeah i'm a i'm a punk guy i really like punk music uh i grew up i like the clash too for what it's worth yeah i feel like they're different like they're they're on a different they're real different they are and i'm excited to talk about that (laughs) because they and they're different for like some of the reasons why the slits are different and um I think that that is a key to why I, I like those two groups and don't always like things like I uh, it, like Alan said we grew up around hardcore scenes and hardcore is not my preferred kind of punk and I think that is what people picture when they hear punk is just mm-hmm. uh, like really fast really aggressive and that's Cause not it's also like D beat punk bands where it's just playing a really fast D beat mm-hmm. it's just upset it's like so when you it's like when it's um on the you know one if you think one and two and three and four on Mm -hmm. the ones it's the bass and the ands it's the snare so it's like uh i don't know how to describe it or what perfect impression i did that one (laughs) (laughs) i have no examples to follow that up with Uh, it's like the Oh no! Like the Pink Panther. That's further from it, but oh. I like that. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like uh, you know when you get the drums to go. <laughs> I know what a drum is. <laughs> Joe's our drum expert. Yeah, I know, Alan. You've played the drums for uh, like twelve plus years, but uh, I'll take this. <laughs> I'm trying to My like. <laughs> I like uh, John Coltrane was a great drummer. Uh, um, Miles, <laughs> Jerry Garcia is my favorite. Miles drummer. Davis, uh, fantastic drummer. <laughs> I'm a big dr- fan of Sully from Godsmack. I like Sully the pilot. I think he was a great drummer. <laughs> <laughs> great drummer, awful pilot. <laughs> you know, like that's why he hit the birds, just for yeah. the rhythm. <laughs> do we get that <laughs> all right well if you we don't record that record this crash record into this the splash. Ocean. <laughs> just trust me tom hanks is gonna want in 
Uh, yeah, D beat is like what you hear in a lot of hardcore songs. Okay. Do you have like an example that you want? Uh, the only one I could think of quickly was I'll send you the Spotify link. We don't have to do this, but I mean we can cut this out, but we can still show Dana it so she knows what I meant. Cool. I just sent it in the chat. I clicked it. Oh. <laughs> I can't. Oh, I you does, can't like, see doesn't, in the chat. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't show what you do for Zoom. That's right. Scumming um, attractions. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if you ch- ch- click on blackout. I just heard, I don't know if you guys could hear that. Probably not. No. I just <laughs> to a little bit. Oh. But like. Yeah. I love this song. I almost did stiff little fingers. Uh, but like that song we play, that's like, that's not what the band sounds like at all. And then at the end, like one song fades out, then we just kind of go really fast into that, and it's like only a minute long. Is, so it, it's like a is fun this way just to like a random? Is this your YouTube music, or is this just like a random thing that I've been recommended? This is a random thing I think you've been recommended. Oh, okay. Although it looks like a lot of things that I've listened to. I was gonna say like, none of this is on recent. There's Tierra Whack. I saw the Israelites in there. Yeah, Nick Cave, alone at a piano. <laughs> this is really beautiful. Weird. I love. Have you? Do you guys know Stiff Little Fingers? They're like. Oh yeah. Probably they're fun. They're sick. That's the stuff that I really love. That's I, I really I, love early, like, early punk music, and that's what a lot of this this band is, Circus Battalion. And um, so yeah. So I guess, do you want me to start talking about the album, or do we want to do since we're kind of already in it, like just like a little mini history of punk? Yeah, talk a little bit about punk. Let's. I don't know how much of what we just cut out, but I'm sure it's a chunk of it. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I was probably... saying is that like a lot of like a lot of like that D beat hardcore punk. I just don't like. And I think, I don't know, I think that's, like, that's the orbit that a lot of, I think, the negativity around punk, I think, gets sucked in through. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And Totally. I think it's also... Um, There's one scientist listening that's just shaking his head. He's <laughs> like, it's not what any of those words meant. I'm a, pu- uh-huh. I'm a punkologist. And <laughs> I love punk, and I love science. And I love my wife. <laughs> That's In case it. she's listening. <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> it was all an intro for. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I guess jumping into punk. Um, great. So I'll do that, and it, I, it will set the seed for the slits. So. Uh, the history of punk kind of uh i thought i think a lot of people assume it starts with the sex pistols because they are credited as like one of like the early punk bands and uh are credited with starting the movement in the uk uh and they are also uh johnny rotten the lead singer of the sex pistols is the stepfather of ari up from the slip so we will talk about the sex pistols quite a bit uh, okay, that's amazing. I totally missed that. Oh, that's why I picked it because we were all doing like female artists overshadowed by less interesting, or not necessarily less interesting, <laughs> but certainly um, more famous male relatives. 
So gotcha. Okay. So that that was that was why I picked it for this week though. It's an album I'm happy I really like, and I would have gotten to it eventually. But um, uh, yeah. So uh, the but the actual history of punk kind of as much as it's associated with the UK, it does really start in New York with the CBGB scene, and so the first punk band is usually credited as the New York Dolls, but there's of course the Velvet Underground and the Stooges out of Detroit are big proto-punk bands. They are certainly establishing the kind of counterculture that is opposite of the hippies. It's more of an industrial, more of an urban counterculture, re- kind of rejecting the hippies as much as the um, establishment, if you will. And it is telling that it starts towards the tail end of the 60s where the flower power movement is failing. Uh, MLK is killed, JFK is killed. Like uh, All the promise of the 60s is uh, seemingly, all the optimism is uh, leaving the, the world, uh, but like the United States and the UK certainly are hit the most as they are like the origins of the flower power movement. And then it's just not working. It, it, the, all the promise of the protests uh, ends up giving us two very authoritarian conservative governments, Nixon, the UK, uh, the conservative parliament um, in uh, the, sorry, Nixon in the US, conservative parliament in the UK, and things are really bad. There's a great, uh, there is a big depression. There are not a lot of jobs. There is a lot of discontentment, and uh, the youth in particular are like, well, uh, our parents' parents were you know they believed in the system that was the 50s and then the hippies rejected that but then they didn't do anything there was just a lot of idealism without accomplishing anything so now we have a very disaffected youth that doesn't know what to turn to because there is not idealism is not working and uh the system is not working and then that is what just smoking pot all the time is not working right dude i disagree (laughs) (laughs) well you didn't spend the whole first half hour talking about your dissatisfactions (laughs) (laughs) i just realized that after i said it i was like good thing we weren't recording that part wait a minute (laughs) my long depressive rant the second i ran into someone else (laughs) so that's that's kind of like the social climate and of course, um, civil rights legislation does get passed during the 60s, but tons of racial tension is really um, still billowing, and that's a big factor, as we'll get into. And so the uh, Velvet Underground is like, they come out of the New York art scene, so that, that, that that's one factor of early punk is like art, art music, and it's like these artists that are just being like, they're making statements, they're being kind of like, uh, they're not necessarily musically talented in a in a in a, a traditional sense. Though of course, like you know, John Cale actually is, but the rest of them not so much. Um, <laughs> but that's that's actually I would say that's a big myth. But like a lot of punks are people like the idea that it's always a bunch of kids that don't know what they're doing. Usually, there's one kid in every punk band that is actually very musically talented. <laughs> like you the know, the ones that work, that seems to be the secret yeah. that one of them is actually really good. It's uh, the one that's second from the front. Yeah, like yeah. it's Jones, always second John from the Kale. front. Totally, uh, <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, so that that is that it's, is. It's 
interesting seeing sorry to, to cut you off no, uh no, you know, that's the whole sorry thing. not sorry <laughs> i'm like and, I'll, 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 this is a good time for me to eat a cookie <laughs> all right i'll stop smoking weed for a minute you eat a cookie uh I, why you've been talking i've been looking at yeah <laughs> uh well so i've been i've been looking at like years of uh like albums that i always consider like the early like my like favorite like birth of punk albums and like seeing white light white heat is 1968 it's so much earlier than you, you think it is right but then uh well no, i i knew that was around there but then to see that kick out the jams was only 1969 yeah yeah so by the mc5 yeah and detroit is a big like that is well uh, because because the new york thing gets there's a lot of labels that are stupid be, be, and so this is like art rock, and then the Detroit stuff is considered proto-punk. So the MC5 right. mm-hmm. and the Stooges coming out of the Midwest. Because that's like, I love, Kick Out the Jams, I think, is, is like one of the coolest albums. That would be a great uh, one to talk about. That's something that I've totally, been, yeah. that's something, that's an episode I've been saving for. Uh, I want to get that 33 and a third book and read it before we do an episode about it. Uh, so I'm sorry I did kind of cut you off I got excited uh, but like just that's that's 69 <laughs> yeah that's 69 and then Paranoid by Black Sabbath is 1970 mm-hmm. um, so you see which, oh I'm sorry I yeah. did it again <laughs> <laughs> and then like my two favorites uh, are uh, Death I think which is 1971 yeah 1971 which I mean, I assume you both know the the punk band Death, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Pure Hell. I believe they're from Pennsylvania. Is that? But they're not until seventy four. Is that Richard Hell, or is that is that like before? No, that's um. Here, let me let me send you this, because like this is, I think early punk. That is crazy. Looked over. Seventy four. Oh, and bad brains. It's a... Yeah. So this this video is from '77. And I would. It looks like the. <laughs> it's a song called Noise Addiction. It looks like the. Uh... One, two, three, four. But to hear, this is like another band like Death that didn't get released till 2005. And and but the... this is so heavy. And the clear link here between them and death and why they were overlooked is they are yeah, these predominantly are what people, black bands. Yeah, they, these are the two black punk bands that are angrier than any other group of them and just completely overlooked. But so, so this is, so before the actual label punk starts getting thrown around, the ethos is, is forming. Like, Building, yeah. And the discontentment. And uh, yeah, so like again, like punk. A lot so of that's it, eight years. Yeah, and a lot of it is a label. A lot of it is like like to call punk one thing is baloney. Like the idea that punk ever had a unified vision is not true. And uh, we'll talk about why. And I think that speaks to a lot of why some people really have negative associations, and other people are like, oh, it's the music that saved music. Like it's it's very uh, all over the map. And it's because the the whole scene is splintered from from jump. It's 
like mm. like Black Sabbath, like there is a a push towards heavier music, so that they get called like heavy rock. The Velvet Underground isn't punk. They're art rock. The, the Stooges aren't punk. They're proto uh, industrial or whatever. And Throbbing Gristle actually does start. So that's one of the first female fronted things, and they actually do predate the punk label and they're in the uk and they're industrial so like all these labels are getting thrown around but uh, the general gist is there is less focus on traditional musicianship more focus on a message and attitude if you will and yeah. and a, a very not optimistic message like the hippies it is not about it is not folk it is discontentment it is uh, a lot of uh, it's urban that's a big link too is that it is coming from kids in the city it's a youth movement and uh, so the the first groups that start kind of getting the label punk are um, the New York Dolls uh, the Ramones are huge uh, they kind of define what a lot of people think of as the sounds because <laughs> they're, they're famous their first uh, concert they said one two three four before every song <laughs> and I, I that made me so happy to read <laughs> that's amazing and uh so that that's a delight so that's kind of a lot of like that's where like the musical language of punk starts getting more uh codified so to speak uh, and um and the look starts getting more codified. They the and then uh, New York Dolls and then of uh, television, which is of the three New York Dolls television, the Ramones television is probably my favorite. That's Richard Hell. That they're just more musically interesting. So even right from the yeah. bat, there's less focus on musicianship. And then one of the first punk bands is very musically interesting. So it is always loaded with contradictions. The whole see like uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to say that like you know mine you know aversion to punk like a lot of those bands that you just named like i really love and like i don't think of them as punk and i think i think of you know i guess when i'm like thinking about punk music now because like so many of those other bands you you can like sort of you know stick them into different genres and it like does kind of hold true because like punk was getting so split up mm -hmm. at the time into all these different things so when I think about punk now I'm thinking about you know I guess like a, a more I don't know like modern take that is sort of like what is like the leftover remnants of all these like you know original mm -hmm. bands doing this thing and and all the directions that they went to because so, like I, like I love television you know I love Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground you yeah. know but I don't but I don't when I think about punk I don't think about that them well you know, that's where a lot of those bands. that's where it started and it went in very different yeah. directions all over the place right right and uh for the interest of this episode a very important moment is uh a young woman attending a Ramon show at CBGB sees television in the Ramones uh, Patty Smith is an artist. She's a visual artist, uh, and she's a poet. And she's like, "Wow, this is the coolest. This is a great way to actually get my words to people. I love this aesthetic." And so she is the first. Uh, she is the first female punk in a way, and her music is, it is punk aesthetically. Joe Strummer lists it as a influence. Uh, I should find, I love this, the band before The Clash that he was in, uh, the 101ers, there's a really funny look live thing where he's just like, yeah, people, and like, we'll talk about this, but he's like, people are like, oh, 
girls can't be punks. Look at Patty Smith. She rocks harder than anyone. And there's just like a live <laughs> clip of him saying that. It's really cute. And he used to cover Gloria by the uh, the them, which was vamp. And wasn't a, a Palm Olive in uh, 101ers? Possibly, yeah. She used to date Joe Strummer, so. so that sounds right. Um, yeah, I think she was. Uh, that's. Palm Olive, uh, the drummer of the Slits. The or, original drummer of the Slits. Original Not on the, the album, unfortunately. But yeah. uh, I'm excited to talk about her because I didn't know the Raincoats before this and her band after the Slits is really cool and I really, really love them and I didn't know about them. So like this was a fun episode for me. For I the... didn't know they were connected at all until reading a little bit about the Slits. But yeah, so Patti Smith is huge like she really opens the door like this was the context that kind of blew my mind reading about the slits as like the first all-female punk band it's just the idea that women didn't really play instruments in mainstream music before punk and that is bananas uh because i think it's true i i just it sounds insane to hear and like there's classical we trained female musicians of course so there there are females who play instruments that exists but in mainstream pop music it's all singers yeah well that's why like yeah. tapestry was a big deal mm-hmm. carol king yeah so then you get in folk you get some singer songwriters so uh joni mitchell can play the guitar like there there, there are <laughs> it's not it, and she can play very well a good, a good <laughs> quote right, to pull right. I feel joni like mitchell maybe... can play the guitar i guess she can play all right i feel like it's more like that women weren't like in like rock music yes you know yeah more so than anything because it was too like you know it was something that was like sort of like by the guys for the guys right right it kind of goes back to like what we were talking about last week where it was like women men can sing about what they want to do and that kind of macho like taking charge of it women are supposed to stay in line of like only what has done to them what's been done to them and kind of keep in vulnerable positions like folk music and and mm-hmm. that sort of thing and like, like there, yeah. there's like singer song and I, i'm guessing them i'm probably overlooking because it's a blind spot for me some female country artists probably also played but it's not it's not rock and roll they're not they're not calling out the government they're not doing that musically at this point in time a lot it's not and they're not playing hard music in in that sense like what Al's saying and so patty smith uh i'd love to talk about horses at some point it's a great album but like just First lo- animal. What? <laughs> I'd love to talk about horses at some I point. Just... <laughs> I love horses. They're my favorite animal. I am a horse girl, and it's time to... Uh, <laughs> I, I should be open about that. Uh, but yeah, just like off jump, uh, she's covering um, like uh, Van Morrison, so in uh, uh, Gloria, that's like a proto-garage rock song, so she's getting in on that. And um, the opening line of the that whole album is uh, Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. So this this uh, calling out like huge <laughs> uh, authoritarian figures like the church, just society in general, and that's how she's starting it. It's just a new voice has entered the fold, and uh, things are not the same after Patti Smith. Whether or not, like, I don't think, I think she was just writing, you know, her poems and, like, she wasn't trying to do that, but it's, it's a game changer. It is, like, women are now seeing themselves in a way, young women are seeing themselves do things that they'd never seen other women do, and it's exciting. And that is how the slits meet, is at a Patti Smith concert. They had 
the Palma of. Uh, uh, I should look at her. Paloma something. Paloma. Yeah, I know it's Paloma, and like this is what Sid Vicious called her. And, uh... Oh, I'm gonna get the cleaning product, aren't I? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but her and Ari, uh, Ariane Foster, uh, is a German immigrant in, uh, uh, in the UK at that time. Her mom is working in journalism, and Palm Olive is Paloma McClarty, <laughs> uh, Paloma Romero initially. So she's, uh, her and Ari meet at a, um, at a, uh, patty smith show and then that's where they're like we can do this they're just they meet they're dancing they're having a good time they are young ari is 14 i believe paloma's like 17 ish they are really just kids and it's like that's something that i love about this album is that they're they're older by the time the album comes out but they're still like just out of their teens and so this really has a very youthful energy to it and it's it's really infectious and i think that that's something that the best of punk captures is this kind of youthful discontent and this totally and that's because that's what it really is about it's a it's about being a kid in like the world you were promised is not how it is and you're upset about that and you're lashing out musically and that's like the best it's about saying fuck you to mom and dad yeah and that's why a lot of <laughs> punk is <laughs> rooted in deeply problematic <laughs> parental relationships <laughs> uh, so, uh, joe strummer uh his dad like he's one of the few punks that is not actually working class his dad's a a a, a diplomat but because of that so he gets to see the world so he gets a, an idea of the world is not how it was promised us to be, and my dad is contributing to that because he's... Interesting. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. That's very cool. So he lives in squats and stuff, and he he takes on the punk life really um, authentically in a a way, but it is... He was one of the few ones that actually really did come from money. Uh, Or, like, upper middle class. Like, he's not, like, super wealthy, but still. And uh, we'll talk about The Clash at some point for sure, but a big thing um that is important to me about the clashes they are probably one of the first bands to really articulate the political motives of punk and actually make it very explicit not just general discontentment but that this can be a movement and a big part of that is joe strummer's brother joins the national front which is uh, when there are a bunch of discontented youth, some of them uh, become artists and some become Nazis and racist. And you can either, when you're really upset and you don't know what's wrong with the world, you can blame the systems that actually caused it, or you can blame people that are Whatever different the than you. systems tell you to blame. Yeah, and so that is a big burgeoning movement in the U.S., but the National Front is that front in the uh, U.K. They're a neo-Nazi movement, and his brother joins, and then gets really fucked up and kills himself and that makes a huge impression on young joe what was was his name jim bummer sorry that sounds so (laughs) funny (laughs) it's so wait no no, he's just fucking with you (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so like but so no for real though he was 
He was a huge butthole. I was trying to say that and not interrupt you, but then you had said that he killed himself, and I was like, well, what a I'm not going to just let go of this bummer line. I'm not- <laughs> <laughs> but because of that, Joseph Trevor sees the potential of any youth movement for getting soured. He sees the racial hatred in his own country, and he sees that it's toxic, and he's so he's one of the leading forces that's obviously um uh like he's not the only one but he's one of the leading for like we said some of the earliest punk bands are these black groups that have been kind of left out uh but it it becomes very important right uh from the early days to uh take a stance against racism against totalitarianism uh with this kind of more social messaging which a lot of early punks aren't really saying much or they're saying very um broad swipes that i don't like being told what to do or like that kind of <laughs> yeah that's uh so uh the so that's and maybe that's my issue with punk too yeah a lot of... i feel like i'm learning a lot about myself and my own disposition with punk music mm-hmm. with this one yeah a lot well a lot of it is um inarticulate a lot of it is not it's it's just kids uh expressing their discontent and some of that gets very incelly really fast and that's early on there there is just when you have (laughs) young people expressing discontent they don't always know the right targets and so Mm -hmm. uh, that's very cool that there were some people trying to steer it in the right way like even the skinhead movement that uh develops even that is uh, right away divided and conflicting that there are left-wing skinheads and then there's racist skinheads. Like we think of all, sk- mm. like we hear the word skinhead, we think racist, but it actually started as like a Jamaican movement and it's very like, uh, yeah, so there's like, there's a lot of like old reggae songs that are like skinhead stuff. And it's like, it's not about our current skinheads, but then that starts with, in the UK with the punk movement, unfortunately. So it is, it is this mess that there is, these kids that are it it is general discontentment and some people are channeling it really positively and some people are really not sham 69 is uh, a fun band but very racist they are not good people and like they are like the first like oi band that really gets like so uh there's a lot of people that want to kind of look at the early days of punk with rosy glasses but unfortunately as much as there is really cool stuff right from the start there is really really shitty stuff right from the start (laughs) Uh, but so this is like 1976-ish. Uh, Patti Smith's her first album, I believe, comes out in '75. And so the slits form in 1976 uh, after meeting a at um, a Patti Smith show, and uh, they are not they are the first all female punk band. But uh, this was a cool thing reading about the history of women in punk is that it really is like kind of right from the start because it is just people picking up instruments. There is this kind of lack of gatekeepers at the beginning and there are a lot of women right at the forefront uh starting in la there's uh exine uh cerveza in x there's uh there's lydia lunch in, uh in new york with um teenage jesus and the jerks there's uh, throbbing gristle not quite punk but kind but pretty punk they have uh women and the x-ray specs is uh 
a really great band in the early days of punk, and they're, I think, the first female-fronted punk band to drop an album. I might be wrong about that. It's close to them and Susie, and, Susie Sue and the Banshees. Uh, their first album is very punk. Their later albums, they kind of also ride the transition into New Wave and kind of define that in a really cool way. Uh, so Susie Sue is very important. But so, like, there, are, there, it, there is this... Oppor- there's a sense of opportunity that in, in in promise in early punk that there is this uh there's roles uh that there aren't before and, uh, I, I think viv albertine i believe of the slit says it's almost like when women first just started joining the workforce in world war ii is like oh like there's just not enough there's there's a lot of interest in music and not enough people to do it so they let us do it and then once we were able to do it we didn't want to stop doing it like it is just like it is just kind of uh starting no one really knows what to like expect of them. oh and then uh the cramps also uh, were an early and important they kind of oh, yeah. they first they're another like group that kind of starts like a splinter genre of kind of like horror core like punk rock Mm. so they're very cool so like there are other women and then of course Joan Jett and the um Runaways are also uh, all female so like they're early on they're also 76 so the slits beat them by like probably a matter of months but it's very cool and they're also like 16 yeah they're all yeah they're very young and um uh, another important thing to uh, kind of remove the um, rose-colored glasses about the early days, while there's all this, uh, 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 like with every music genre of the early days, it pretty much, as much as it, it has the DIY aesthetic that is really important to punk, very quickly, very early on, corporate interests in this as a movement take on, and there is... right from the start a kind of uh bastardization of punk and like the that's why i've always not liked the sex pistols so much is is and so they enter the scene they're like the first punk band in the uk that's johnny ron that's ari's stepfather and they kind of define the look of punk. They, that's what they're really credited as. So they're not necessarily the first punk band, as we've discussed, but they're the first punk band that looks like a punk band. They have It the... looks like a hot topic. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the reason for that is because their manager owned a clothing store. Like, it is... The, that is oh, and so man. that's why I've always had really icky feelings about the Sex Pistols. Yeah, they're just like a piece-together... They're, they image were, of yeah. They were formed to sell clothes, and to Johnny Rotten's credit, his next band is called Public Public Image Limited, as a dig at Malcolm McLaren, as like, like he blames Malcolm McLaren for forcing them kind of, uh, for uh, forcing them into the limelight when they weren't totally ready for not really giving a shit about his best friend's crippling heroin addiction that takes his life. So there is like the there is. With any movement, a ch- some people see it as a chance to make money. Some people see it as a chance to have a voice, like Joe Strummer. Like there is, and then they also have big financial woes, the Clash, and that's a big reason why they start putting out double and triple albums and fighting to sell them. Like they're just trying to screw over the record company because they're upset. Like they're so just right from the start, and that is why uh, this album 
doesn't come out until 1979. It the they are the first female punk band, and they don't release an album till like three years after existing. So they essentially this was something I didn't know that the punk the the canonical punk window is way briefer than I realized. Like this punk boom really exists from 76 with all that uh stuff in the united states that we talked about that is kind of leading up to it but the the big movement of punk exists from like 76 to 79 and then everything after that is kind of post-punk and very splintering Mm -hmm. genres of that which i didn't actually know because of course punk still exists now we call bands punk bands and blah 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 but they kind of miss the boat even though they're a huge contributing factor to it. Okay, so the fact that you just, like, kind of blew my mind with that bit about, like, the Sex Pistols. It was the Sex Pistols, mm-hmm. right? Like, their manager, like, owning a clothing store? Mm-hmm. Okay. That, like, and the fact that the Slits had all this crazy press around them and they were these public figures before their album even came out, like... And the fact that, you know, uh, Ari's stepdad is, like, you know, father of punk and, like, somebody's uh, mother in the band uh, is, like, you know, working in, like, publishing. Also Ari. (laughs) Ah! I'm sorry, but, like, this is all, it's, it just seems like it's all just very pieced together. We know we can sell you this little fuck you package, and we know that, like, it doesn't really matter what they sound like. You're going to buy into it because you got to buy into something because that's, you know, the nature of our society is you need to buy the clothes to, you know, get your thing done or whatever. You know, we buy the records that that speak to us because that's how we express ourselves or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, punk has this big fuck you mom and dad attitude. But it's like, you know, to hear that that even the original guys, like even the the, the, the faces that you think of as like being the original punk movement it was all sort of wrapped up to be sold to the youth like that's crazy to me and like i i watched a documentary um just today about the slits uh here to be heard is what it's called i think it came out in 2014 maybe between 2014 and 2017 um and i'm like what pretty recent and and i'm watching it like you know, I, I know that this band has all this notoriety, you know, they're um, kind of like hailed as like being like some of the, the earlier, like, you know, opening these doors for women. And like I'm not saying that they didn't do that. Like, it's very cool that, you know, to to for women to, you know, occupy a role that they haven't yet just to, to say that, you know, they can. Um, but, you know, these girls, you know, they're young girls they're in their teens they can't really play their instruments like from what i saw in in the documentary it was just like hey that girl's got like a firecracker spirit like she'll play the guitar and like she couldn't play the guitar or like she'll play the bass you know and like they get her a bass and then all of a sudden she's in the band she's playing the bass and she needs to learn how to play the bass and you know and they're in all these magazines in the uk like you know, being like, oh, the the new punk S's, like, guess what? Everybody girls do punk now. And, like, and this is all, like, before, you know, they had even really played shows, like, and, and certainly years before their album had even come out. Well, to their credit, they hate this. They hate it. They are 
constantly talking and interviewing, and that's a big reason. Like, that's a really cool thing about the Slits is so much of their career actually happens on their own terms, which is rare for anyone. And they really hate that they're being like Viv almost doesn't join the band. She's their guitarist because she's she says she ends up talking with. Um, Chrissy Hind, who becomes the frontwoman of the Pretenders, like they were just friends. She's like, I don't want to join them just to be an all-girl group. Like, if we're gonna get sold as that. It sounds kind of phony. And she's like, Well, do you have fun playing with them? Just fucking do it. Like, don't get over yourself. And so she she joins. But it and they say like from the beginning they hate the press they're getting. They intentionally tank interviews. I actually like save this and i really like it is because they don't they don't want to be that and that is a hundred percent what record companies what tour companies want them to be right and because it is a it is a package it is and that and that is why they refuse to to sign early on because they know that they won't get to make what they want there's a beautiful quote i have from um from Viv, she says, mainly we didn't sign because we knew we didn't sound like we did in our heads. That and the record companies wanted to market us and package us up as a sexy punk girls. There really weren't any other all-girl bands at the time. We had to wait until someone took us for who we were. And so they, they, all these concerns that you're expressing, they were also feeling it. And so, and so I... So my beef is not with, with, with the girls in the band or punk musicians. It's with the music industry. Unfortunately. Which is not nothing new. Yeah. But, like, Let's... you're right, though. Like, they had a huge leg up. And they didn't take it, which is yeah. really cool and rare. Like, they... they yeah. They... That's truly punk rock. Yes. They are... They are... Yeah. They are... Like I said, like, the story is everything good and everything bad about punk rock. Because they really do not take the easy route and they suffer for it which is the bad thing mm. like they don't ride the wave and i actually have a clip of what they sound like early on because you're right early on they do not sound like what you hear on this album uh they are more like what you think of as a punk band and so this is them from 1977 like a year in and uh this is something called the peel sessions uh it like a lot of this stuff you can find it but it's probably more expensive than you want but luckily someone put it on youtube because like yeah they are uh they go out of print because they're not re- their albums aren't released in the u.s so they go out of print and so everything and so then this kind of comes out in the mid 80s this was recorded earlier but it becomes like a, a novelty when people can't find it so this is them like as like a punk band different from the album yeah. yeah the album doesn't sound like this you heard a little bit no. of i heard it through the grapevine and it's because they took three years to figure out what they want to sound like. you can hear on some of the later songs in the sessions the reggae influences are already creeping in that's what that's simply what they love they talk about what they listen to they were listening to reggae they weren't i think they were not interested in the white angst they were interested in like world problems and uh like uh, the uh, Jamaican community, they they grew they grew up near Jamaican people and uh, West Indian people, uh, and they like just love that music. They really like that. 
in in that documentary that I I watched about uh, the slits, it they had said that they were um, going to this club called the Roxy, <laughs> and that was kind of like where the punk movement like blossomed out of. And at the Roxy, there were DJs that would like pretty much exclusively play like reggae records because there were not punk records yet. <laughs> yeah. And, and and like we we talked about Jimmy Cliff like those albums I think there's an early Desmond Decker song about like landlords like they are about the same social discontent it's just mm-hmm. really music it's sonically different but it is the same feelings and so it makes sense right. that it connects Oppression. with these girls and yes also it makes sense that some of the things the white men in their scene are singing about doesn't connect with them. It's like they, they, they feel more at home with this and Ari starts growing out her dreadlocks very early on, which is, um, yeah. Oh boy. I saw some pictures of Ari. Oh God. It is rough. It's like straight up like a caricature. Like she's like trying to do like a Jamaican woman, like, but she's like this like small like german girl yeah. like and it's just and it, it becomes like a pretty signature <laughs> look she's maybe one of the first people with terrible white dreads but she <laughs> is coming at it from a much more authentic place of love than a lot of people and like she like lives in jamaica for many years and she says like she's like people hate on my dreadlocks everywhere else but Jamaica, <laughs> it's a cute, yeah. it's a cute quote. And she's just like they, they kind of like it, <laughs> like like the people I meet. And the weird, and she's like the weirder I look, the the more people like me. So I just became this weird person and be, took on this roles, and I got to live as myself. And she, uh, we'll talk. Yeah, I'm looking at it through like 2020 yes, goggles, and, so and you know it's different. If you see it, it's not great. Like her, her oh, God, no. so it, it it it's a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I understand the reputation, but it, it it's a statement early on, and then also um, the Clash's first album features uh, a cover of the song "Police and Thieves," so it is one of the first times a white band with any position of power covers a reggae song, and it's a big statement of racial solidarity at that point of like this is the music that is punk, this is punk, this is what we should care about, and like that is the same. So album that has white riot about how white people should be riding he's like that's what joe strawberry says like you know black people are fighting against the oppression we have to join that we have to take on this same struggle because it is all one struggle and so this early sense of reggae it, we live in a world now where white people covering reggae is really gross <laughs> a lot of the time it's a lot of just college kids that love weed but it's <laughs> that is really removed from how it kind of starts and so it is this kind of showing a solidarity with a common struggle is the early days of reggae entering the punk world is that it's just community is shared community shared struggle early on because it's a big part of london in the 70s it, and um We'll talk about, and I've talked about it before, the movie, um, the Small Axe films on Amazon right now by Steve McQueen are all about, there's five movies that are about different parts of the West Indian um, experience in the 70s and 80s in London, and they are phenomenal, and the soundtrack is like amazing reggae and punk from this time, and we'll talk about it because one of them, uh, the uh, the producer of this album, 
is featured prominently his music is featured very prominently in one of them and so we'll talk about that in a little bit when we get to it but here we are uh 77 this is what the slits sound like this is how they entered the scene is just a bunch of kids thrashing about uh tessa paulette who's their bassist, who on the album sounds really good i think the bass on the album is very cool and interesting she picked up the bass <laughs> two weeks before their first show she did not know they are um uh viv albertine who joins the band she's not like they i think they have a, a, a different drummer and bassist early on but then they quickly find become their uh quartet palm olive uh is the on drums Ari up is singing uh viv albertine on guitar and tessa paulette on bass and they they really didn't know what they were doing when they started it is just pure attitude pure energy youthful exuberance and it it sounds like it and i I like it, but it, it isn't what you hear on the album. It's not the their more mature sound. It's not that. It's it's very cool as a document that that's what they sounded like because it is so removed from what they put out. But yeah, they uh, Palm Olive was dating Joe Strummer. Viv Albertine was dating uh, Mick Jones, and uh, uh, I believe Ari or. Maybe Viv. One of them was also dating uh, Keith Levine, who's the original drummer, uh, guitarist of The Clash before Mick Jones joined the band. And then he goes on to form uh, Public Image Limited with Johnny Rotten. And he's a very interesting guitarist, and he teaches them guitar between. Uh, he teaches Viv guitar. And she said that you never. She said that he was much more willing to teach her than Mick Jones, who she was dating. And she says, You always actually learn from the men you don't sleep with. Which is a, a great quote. I love Viv. Viv. Preach, sister. Viv Albertine has some really great like writing and uh, talk about this time period. She's really cool. Um, and uh, one thing I, I want to mention real quick that I found pretty interesting uh, in that documentary was um, Palm Olive. So she kind of like you know brings the band group together, or whatever. And I guess she was in a group with Sid Vicious maybe uh, the yes uh, her and I believe actually Viv too were in the flowers of romance with Sid Vicious that's it yeah that's it and uh and you know just to to again like you know the the origins of the punk thing which is really just like you know like this um class struggle and this fuck you attitude uh I guess she had said uh Palm Olive um she said that you know she was in that that uh, flowers band, flowers of romance, uh, with Sid Vicious, and she and Sid Vicious had said something about like, you know, I just don't like black people or something like that, and Palm Olive was like, well, I don't like people who don't like, you know, black people based, you know, or just people based on the color of your skin. I don't like races. And then she was out of the band, and wow. she was like, well, you know what? Fuck you. Like, I'm just gonna go make my own band where I don't have to deal with racists. <laughs> and, yeah, and that, I didn't know that. That's amazing. Uh, Sid finishes, mm. also, probably, I told you guys earlier, my favorite fact I learned about the early days of punk while researching this is that the name, the nickname Sid Vicious comes from Johnny Rotten's parents' hamster. <laughs> that was the name of their hamster. They had a hamster named Sid Vicious. He just started calling <laughs> his friend that. And, boy, is that... <laughs> incredible <laughs> one amazing. it's amazing that they named a hamster that and that it's also so funny that 
like this uh, orig- original bad boy of punk <laughs> is just named uh, Hamster. And also, just on a little hamster. Yeah, and also Sid Vicious is, it's he kind of sucks, but he's also he's a he's a victim and a perpetrator because he's yeah a terrible addict. And we'll, we can talk about um, when when we talk about why the slits uh, broke up. We'll talk a little bit more about um, their their talk about heroin that is kind of entering the scene uh the the move away from the 70s really mark a switch away from conscious like drug use as consciousness expanding in the 60s and more of uh, drug use as uh blunting your senses Mm. it becomes the harsh reality the 70s are a big come down from the 60s and every sense and like the the drug use reflects that and also it's cheaper heroin is just and that's why it uh (laughs) historically and currently kills so many young people they can afford it i wonder if that's still true uh it can't be right no heroin is still way cheaper than weed and uh what really that's why it kills yeah i mean not oxy it's not like like medical heroin but that that's why that's why it that's why it is that's why it is what it is that's well, i guess I, I just never really i guess thought about it too much i don't know that's why it's always that's why it'll always be well I, that's you know to to quote acdc you know, rock and roll will never die <laughs> <laughs> our good friends <laughs> acdc <laughs> the, our to take our good friends acdc's quote out of context the, just a little bit the poet laureates of uh, oceania no offense Papa New Guinea but (laughs) did you ever say hell's bells (laughs) sorry Papa New Guinea but I don't believe you ever shook us all night long (laughs) I told her to come but I was (laughs) she told me to come but I was already there that's my favorite line from ACT (laughs) that's their tourism motto (laughs) Australia we told you to come but you're already here Oh, delightful. But, yeah. I'm um, sorry I don't know the going rate of heroin, guys. Yeah. I just, I well, just never thought about it. Well, I just know that the kids from my school that died from it couldn't have afforded Oh, my God. Yeah, couldn't have afforded it. Other, like, that's why they, that's why it kills people. They can afford it. That's why you get hooked. Fair. Yeah. It, right. That's a big thing, too, is that, like, the economics of a drug... Uh, of narcotics and uh, government policy, the conservative movements in the UK and the US create our <laughs> the war on drugs. Both uh, and conservative policies kind of create the uh, crises we're currently still living in, and because mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that because that's something that Tessa Pollitt says some really cool and interesting things about uh, uh, that I had never fully thought of myself and it's very cool but so yeah so Sid Vicious uh, early on so that uh, that's also a cool thing that so like they are really in this world with all these early punks they are just as influential as them in the scene but it's not reflected because they don't put out an album at that time but they are with them and uh, the Clash takes them on tour so that's really like their big introduction to the world the slits from a young, uh, from the start, go on the White Riot tour. So, like, the tour kind of behind The Clash's first album 
and it's them at a band called Subway Sect, and I believe The Damned, or... Mm, Buzzcocks. Buzzcocks, that's right, yes, Buzzcocks. That's uh, another great early punk band, and... Um, and then this is what's really fascinating is that I, in some interviews, uh, usually with Ari, I think she has, and she was also the youngest, so maybe. Right, 14 at the She's time. 14, so maybe and be, because of her, her stepdad and people. So she might have been protected in some ways, or maybe she just looks at things more fondly. She will say that it was like a good time and that like they were like making they were making noise and like they were getting accepted like it, that the early days of punk were very accepting of women because there were all these women in punk bands but everyone else in the band paints a slightly different picture uh, and so i don't know if, i don't know why re uh i can't like put you know i, I can't decide what she remembers and all that like, i'm not gonna but for what it's worth, she just remembers things slightly more fondly. But uh, everyone else is like, uh, we got spit on all the time. Uh, men would attack them, like physically and verbally. Uh, Viv and Tessa recall that at one point someone pulled a knife on Ari and said, oh, you guys want a slit? I'll give you one. And then stabbed her in the ass. So uh, <laughs> uh, they, are, they are really the idea of women... Uh, taking up this space so prominently early on they are getting huge amounts of backlash which is and they're right. just tale as old as time though we right? talked I about mean, with this, betty this, yeah yeah exactly exactly but th it's just like how dare a woman occupy a space any space yeah so I, I i think that in some sense because they were maybe ari's just referring to like she had good friends in the scene like the clash were very supportive and took them on tour and like there were not shitty punk bands, but then there also were. There was a great amount of shittiness. And also, this is another reason why, like, you know, people are like, oh, if you had a time machine, what concert would you go see? And as much as I love The Clash, I would never go see them because, regardless of gender, there was just a lot of spitting on people in the early days of punk. Like, it was just, <laughs> it was, it was just a thing. So it, that it, it is possible that wasn't because they were women, but they did seem to get spit on more than the other people. And they were not allowed in hotels. Like, the aesthetic, like, the punk rock aesthetic, like, they said was barely tolerated for the men. But, like, they had to bribe their tour bus manager to take them on the tour bus. People just really did not want to accept uh, these young women. And I think that's a big thing, too, about punk is that the hatred, the backlash that all the punk bands receive is happening to teenagers like it is i think that really shows the failing of these moralist groups these conservative groups are like oh we must stop the scourge of punk rock it's like even if you disagree with them they're children they are young it is so it's really gross a lot of the behavior in response to the slits in particular what they went through in the early days but just in general a lot of the backlash i really recommend um uh, Penelope Spheris' movie Suburbia you really uh, see that in like she followed these like LA punks a lot of them are not actors there's a young flea in it and it's about like squatting culture and all that it's a really good movie but you see like even like these kids at their worst are just kids trying to figure out a broken world like even when punks mm -hmm. are doing all the bad things like they are they are stealing there's something about stealing they are doing drugs they are not always good people some of the people in the group are not good uh in the whole scene but they're young and they are being failed hugely by the people that are supposed to be looking out 
for the country, for the youth, for that. So the idea of moralizing against punk rock is so uh, gross. And I think like that's a key thing is that like people are literally stabbing and spitting on children, and other people are like, "How dare they dress like this?" Like, it's like, like, I, like, have you seen their outfits like, and that hair? Yeah, you're really missing the whole Sorry, point. Sorry, your your crony aunts are coming I, back in for a second. I know. So, um, but the eyeliner too much. Right. So like, the idea of like the image being tied to the message is in some ways true and in some ways it's just very um, indicative of uh the society at that time but they uh they get a lot of good press well they get good reviews the press we've talked about is problematic but uh, they do get good reviews like they do make a a big um cult following they they make a big impression on this store because they are different they they are all women but then ari is just uh a one-of-a-kind showman like she is just she doesn't sing like anybody else she doesn't dance like anyone else she was very they said like in, in england like maybe the birthplace of repression she was <laughs> very open about her body like they said like she pissed on stage and it wasn't even about uh uh like about being confrontational she's just like oh i have to piss why shouldn't I piss? <laughs> yeah, like, like she just didn't <laughs> see the issue. And like it just stunned all these British people that had never lived this openly and authentically. That's fucking amazing. When I was 14 years old, I was like afraid to look the waitress in the eye when I was ordering. <laughs> and like, yeah, these girls are out there. Like, I mean, it, it is like, you know, I don't know if brave is the right word, but it's definitely something to see. Like, and to think about, you know, my experience as, like, a, a young teenage girl and just how, like, I, it's just, like, so far beyond, like, any, you know, expression of myself that I could even imagine at that age. Yeah. I, I mean. It's a good thing I didn't have a platform, actually, <laughs> at that point. I had a live journal, and, and it was set to private, and that's it. <laughs> oh, but it, it, um... Yeah, so they're they're just they're a force of nature essentially in those early days. So like they're not maybe as musically refined, but it makes a big splash. A lot of people say that they were inspired by them. Like a lot of like uh, younger women who went on to become like musicians in the UK were like, this was pretty formative. Like it, it it's really hard to underestimate their impact as just being just for just for doing it was like no one had done it, and it's really. It's really awesome. And so Yeah, just to show that like, you know, that that there is something to be said about like I don't know, like breaking the glass ceiling or something, you know, like there there is something to be said about saying like, you know, somebody's got to be the one to show people that like you can do it. Like, yeah. you know, and that that is like not to be like understated the impact or something like that I and think. i love i love these early clips of them i found two that are so funny like just to show like they just were really unabashedly themselves right from the beginning like they did refuse to be pigeonholed in some ways so I, this cracked me up like and then it's about slime it's about slime <laughs> Just the song "Slime" is about slime. They refuse to answer like questions. <laughs> uh, I found uh, there's another clip of her saying like, "Well, you know, 
And let's do the split is about fucking um, guys fucking us about and we tell them to fuck off. <laughs> she's just like, they, they're saying fuck, they're just being teenagers, but like that wasn't done. Like women did not say fuck in the media at that point. And they're, and they're just ignoring the questions and like not being pigeonholed. And I love this like early um, clip of them playing live. Punk rock warriors. Oh, I don't give a shit if you club or not. It's your attitude that counts. So it was he. So just them on stage, like, I don't give a shit if you clap or not, we're gonna be us. Like, they just really are unabashed, and it's so cool. And, um, so, and, and that's, a lot of that is Ari, like, Ari does not really write any of their songs. She's the singer, but, like, it's like, some people speculate that's why they broke up, is that Pamalo did write most of the songs on this first album, even though she's no longer, oh, really? she, even though she's no longer in the band, like, she, she wrote a lot of it. And her, Tessa, and Viv really essentially write all the songs. And Ari was very improvisational, so she does probably add some things. But she's, she, but then, like, uh, in interviews, like, they all say, like, like, we wouldn't be us without Ari. Like, like, even though she wasn't, like, contributing in the same way, like, writing, like, she was just the energy behind the band. She really, like, and like Viv's like you know we, we were still British even if we were probably like, like she opened us up to like what we could be and like what, <laughs> what we could do on stage and all that and um, between Ari and so her mom uh, marries uh, Johnny Rotten but I think before they're married they um, they uh, are like hosting like they let like a lot of musicians stay with them and so that's how I think she gets kind of yeah, exposed to a lot more reggae and like they get into that world so that really starts becoming their world so even though they start as a punk band they get really really into reggae and uh, a big reason that they wait to sign on to a record is they really want to sign on to island records because that's where all their favorite reggae musicians are signed and in 1979 that's when they do get signed to reggae uh to island and that's where uh this album their first album comes out and so <laughs> we've talked for a long time without actually talking about the album but i think this is all important part of the story and so uh it's good context it's, yeah i think this in this case it's an important diversion i hope uh uh it has been 50 Cut. minutes <laughs> of you giving context joe <laughs> hey <laughs> I don't know. It's our, it's and we will be keeping none of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's our first punk album. We had to kind of set the scene. And I'm somebody who like doesn't really know much about it at all, so it is helpful for me. Yeah, and so uh, to get a little context. And honestly, like, I mean, the album is good, but I think like you know, I think a lot of what is like so important about the slits is their like role in the scene maybe less so than the music itself so yeah because the it's important to get because the music nothing really sounds like it before or after they're not as influential sonically as they were um just for their attitude and their uh they're yeah. taking up space and the that and they uh it does make an impression like there there are a lot of bands that that cite this album it is a a very um 
beloved cult album, but you you don't hear anything like you listen to it now and nothing really sounds like it and it's very cool that that exists but that's kind of like the the price of originality that it's hard to duplicate and um a big part of why this record sounds so cool is that uh in a very rare uh deal island gives them full creative control over everything they get to decide how they market it and how they get to pick a producer and they pick uh, Dennis Bovell, who is a multi-instrumentalist and a very important uh, reggae producer. And I lost the saved thing, but he produced the song Silly Games by Janet Kay, which is one of the greatest songs ever. (laughs) It's just a beautiful song. And this one features so heavily in... um, the Steve McQueen movie Lovers Rock, which is amazing. I still haven't seen that one. But this, well, I think we talked about it when we did Harder They Come. Yeah, it's it's well, it an amazing movie, and this song is so good. So this is like Dennis. Uh, this is uh, before his actual. Uh, this is after the slits, but like this is like maybe the most like one of the most influential things he ever does but then he also uh partnered with a band called uh mutumbi that was like a kind of like funk band uh with like west uh uh west indian influence and then he is credited with like creating the genre of dub poetry because he would produce albums for this uh jamaican poet that are some of like some real scorching poetry like really critical uh of and very important albums and i'm, I'm blank on the guy's name because he ends up like his like later albums are recorded under his initials so i can tell you those are lsk but then uh, that's okay i think that we are trying to hear janet k right 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 and she w- <laughs> Like a reggae producer. Yeah, he is. Um, first and foremost. Let's see. He's he's actually um, he's not Jamaican, but he is West Indian. Hey, get that. Barbados. But uh, he's from Barbados. versus what they sounded like live and like let's all just take a moment to appreciate their producer Bobo because like I really do think he had a large hand in, in why that album sounds so great yeah and it's I mean this song is so beautiful and soulful so this is kind of like his ear for like reggae in pop and soul he just has a, a, a great musical ear. And so this is a this is an offshoot of reggae called Lovers Rock. That's why the movie's called Lovers Rock. So that that, that is um, 
a big part of like his sonic contributions to the album and then also uh he plays on the album uh, uh some of the piano lines i'm assuming are him because i don't think anyone else could play the piano but he also adds like all these like cool dub studio tricks like he's like dropping spoons to get the echo he's just really creative and having a blast by all accounts like like he didn't he got such a kick out of these four white girls or three white girls at this point pommel leaves so another crucial part of this album sound is the new drummer budgie who goes on to play with Susie sue and the banshees and he for 25 yeah, years he is uh, by uh like some music polls like one of the like considered one of like the greatest british drummers of like the past 25 years he's just really good and the drums on this album sound fantastic so like he is kind of the little engine that keeps the album moving when like mm-hmm. uh and so between him and dennis and the girls got better frankly like uh tessa the bass sounds really good and um so they you know they had three years of playing they do sound better yeah they stepped it up for sure like they definitely got better over time i don't want to i don't want to try and like discredit you know that they were like talented you know i don't think they, they got were better not, over time, they were sure. not technically trained musicians they weren't they were yeah. not te- but right. they also knew that and like it's really cool they talk about like they're like we really figured out how to play into our limitations and like that's the thing with viv there's not like and they and I think Tessa says like that they're like I I think she says I think women just play instruments differently. I think we figured out how to play how we want to play. We figured out how we we because we didn't know we weren't like really taught. We figured out like we weren't learning a male way of playing instruments. We figured out our own way, and that and that's what that's what she says. And I I don't know. Uh, uh how i don't i don't know how true that is but it's it's a cool it's a cool <laughs> idea then be, if that's how she felt then it's true and I because guess. viv uh couldn't really play like there isn't like this male like i'm gonna take a 30 minute guitar solo like there, it is not it is not a particularly like masturbatory album it isn't like that they're not doing these these things partly because they can't and partly because they don't want to and so the way she plays guitar on this album is uh very texture driven it's not about solos it is about creating these textures and like she describes uh being in the studio like dennis and ari were able to just kind of have that vision and she's they they said it was a that they really stepped it up and were very strict in the studio she said she'd only been playing for 18 months and now she was with control freaks and i went um to bed in tears she said that they were playing the song Newtown, and she was saying, uh, and they just kept saying, "You're not getting it." And so by the end, she was furious and thrashed guitar. The guitar made strange noises, and then over the intercom came, "That was fantastic." Like Dennis had Dennis and Ari seemed to have an ear for like just how these textures would add to the overall sound. So even though it comes from a place of inexperience, they had these smart people taking the things that they did and assembling it into something that I think really does transcend the sum of its parts. This is an album that's not quite punk. It's not quite reggae, nothing. It kind of morphs as you listen to it, and it's because they don't fully know what they're doing, but they also know what they want to do, and so like they're doing... They're not encumbered by feeling like they should do things a certain way, which like when 
Right, because they're already out of that box, mm. right? They're already women doing this thing, so it's like we're already doing it differently. But, God, I love that this guy just came in and was like, sure, <laughs> I can make that happen. Like, I just really, like, that's such a cool producer-band relationship that they just found the perfect guy that got them and had the reggae experience that they didn't and, like, gave, they, they knew they wanted that sound and he engineered it. Like, he did, and, like... <laughs> and that they had that creative control because it's definitely not the producer i don't think a company like a, a record company would have picked for them they would have probably picked someone who had done punk stuff they would have done other things like right. that that wasn't or like hard rock you know or something like it's so and i think that's what is so magical about where this album meets is like it's right at a beautiful cross-section of of punk and reggae which like you know we know uh are, go together more than it sounds like they should maybe mm-hmm. you know and and especially at that time because it was like we didn't have albums like this necessarily it's like the clash was just sort of getting started so it was like this brand new like dive into these two different genres and to to be able to grab uh, a producer who's like so you know in the in the the reggae scene and he's just like fuck it let's do this punk thing like it and it really does just like pay off in the best way possible i think the way that you said it just the, the sum of its uh or the whole is greater than the sum of its parts is very very spot yeah, on yeah it's it's really special and uh the other thing uh that is uh i really love about dennis is i like we'll talk a bit about like the album art for this is very controversial when it comes out and it's it's just disgusting uh (laughs) but um (laughs) like so the the album art that they did and so this is also cool again like that uh, they were able to do things on their own terms is that the company wanted them to have a male photographer and they said no, so they sent this female photographer, Penelope Reed, um, I believe is her name. I should have, uh, I can double check that, but, uh, but, uh, they, and so they, they get the photographer that they want. They really control their own image and how they're, uh, they're being released and the album they pick, they have the idea to do they want to do uh they don't want to be sexy punk girls they wanted to be like warrior women so like they start like they're just on like this like lawn in england like behind like an estate and they start taking off their clothes they cover themselves in mud they like fashion they they tear up some cloth and make loincloths and that's all they're wearing and so the at the end of that they get this photo that is now iconic of them uh caked in mud topless on this album so it is it is um it is at once because it's it's provocative because it's nudity but it is not sexual really in any way but people are like still scandalized by it, but like that's not what they're going there they want it to be like we are we own our bodies we are showing our bodies in the way we want them to be shown we are tough and strong and badass and like that really comes through in that image it is not like ooh it's like object it's like it was their idea of like trying to kind of use the stereotypical like uh like using topless women to sell a thing and then just like really subvert it and like do it right and imagine if they had had that male photographer just like how different like there's just no way yeah like they're not posed come through like that it wouldn't be yeah 
It's taken like a field recording, almost photograph kind yeah, of. Yeah, they wanted it to look like that, but they were like this, like different, like like a lot of like, like yeah, a lot of reviews are like it's almost like National Geographic. They wanted to look like this, like, uh, like they came from this like <laughs> different society of warrior women, and like they just like entered the scene. And uh, I wish I'm so blank on the poor woman's the photographer's name, but uh, but the the thing I love about uh, Dennis is the way they cleaned up after the photographer is that they just jumped in the pool to get all the mud and there's just this photo that you can't see of just Dennis in the pool when they all jump in and he's just laughing <laughs> like just he's <laughs> just like this is these four white these three white women are such <laughs> such goofs and they're making a weird thing but I get to be a part of it I, I just really love the sense of play a Penny Smith sorry not Penelope well maybe it's short for Penelope but she goes by Penny Smith as the photographer and so this album art is hugely controversial when it comes out and it's a big part of the album uh is legacy unfortunately is that like it's not like warner or uh island i think warner brothers own island right and so like they almost pull the album from the shelves because it's getting so much controversy and one one guy tries to sue the record label because there was a built because it gave him a boner. No, well, <laughs> yes, but uh, uh, because there was a billboard with the album on it, and he, uh, the sight of these breasts, he got a gigantic boner. He crashed his Porsche, so or his Rolls Royce, so he sued the record company. My boner got stuck in my steering and wheel, and I, uh, <laughs> it, and I rented a truck, and now I'm gay. <laughs> All because of you, <laughs> Island Records. <laughs> I'm suing you all. But yeah, so like. And then people just want to talk about like like someone calls them like pin up girls as opposed as a riff on their song typical girls and one of the reviews they're just like Jesus like it's not like they they're just pissed and it's a big like that kind of overshadows the actual record when it comes out and uh, but it still gets this cult following they do make a second album that is not quite as um, well known because. That's interesting. I was gonna ask because I didn't, I I didn't do really any uh, research outside of of just cut, and I hadn't seen any other records by them. Yeah, it's, but this one I I really like. I I also had never really listened to this. It's called Return of the Giant Slits. Is the second and last album they release is in their initial run, and it's it. Holy shit! Wait, no, in twenty fifteen. That's, that's when it right. got reissued, but it's like eighty. It's oh, eighty two, okay, okay. eighty three ish. I don't remember which. Got but it. like, this is much more leaning on more world rhythms. Like they, they almost fully abandoned punk at this point. And it's, it's really, it sounds kind of like Ween, and I, I love it. But yeah, so then at this point. Sex. Or something, or? Yeah, I don't know. This has a much bigger roster of musicians. <laughs> uh, uh, I believe there's a another like new wave group that kind of forms uh, called the. It, they're called the pop group, and they are big collaborators on them. I didn't really know them before this, but it's really cool. Uh, and so the band does dis. They disband after Return of the Giant Slits, and uh, a lot of people had their different theories about it. Is, that they just kind of weren't really getting along and they all did want to move in different directions uh viv kind of stops playing music i think she got married they all get married at some point and uh 
uh, Ari joins uh, a more straight ahead just reggae band called uh, the New Age Steppers. Uh, they're kind of in the, the burgeoning like ska revival that uh, takes over in England. It becomes very uh, popular at that point. And, uh, uh, but I think a big reason, according to Tesla, why they broke up is that uh, she was really into heroin at this point, and that's. Ooh, you hate. And to that's say it. why uh, th- that was a big factor, like of why they couldn't get along, because there was just um, illness. And what Ari actually does after the uh, um, band, after the New Age Steppers album, she then moves to um, live with like indigenous people and. Belize and Borneo just like completely leaves Western society for like several years and uh, it's good it's very cool like they but like they get really burnt out after these after this run because they're not successful they did everything on their own terms and they they made the music they wanted to make and it did not really sell like cut peaks at number 30 on the charts I don't know if it ever it, it never gets released in the United States so that really fucks them over. Um, Do you think that's just because of the cover? It's entirely possible, uh, which is, and then also yeah. this is some hot bullshit because like, what's the uh, the Cream album where it's actually like a teenage girl with a, it's like a fourteen year old girl naked and like that's on the cup. Is it Cream or? Oh, is it Blind? Oh, it's the Blind, Blind Faith album. Yeah, Blind, Blind Faith. Like, Blind and Faith. so like there, like there's, there's been topless women on album art before this album but they weren't they were male bands they weren't a female punk band they weren't right. they, they were male right. and they weren't punk so they don't get the same amount of backlash and so it's it's some real hot bullshit but it, it it hurts them even though it's like now like considered like an iconic bit of art and it's very it is it is a great photo it is a great yeah that really is tragic because like the album it it's good it is good and it's like it's it's sad that you know just Again, tale as old as time. Just some hot bullshit, misogynist mm-hmm. bullshit that you know just for, just really fucks over the career of uh, promising but musicians. Then, uh, the thing I wanted to say that I, I alluded to before that Tessa was saying about heroin that I just never thought of that was really interesting and sad was that she's like I, she's like I feel like it can't be a coincidence that heroin booms in the UK. As soon as youth movements start protesting the status quo, and she's like, I, you know. I would be shocked if there was not any. Um, she said yeah. she she posits that perhaps the conservative government introduced heroin. I think that possibly because teenagers don't really need help self-destructing. It's more like that they enacted terrible policies and just were like, oh, this is good for us that these kids are whacked out. But we also know from Nixon AIDS that uh, governments are not right. above just straight up introducing. I was going to say, wouldn't be the first time or the so last. It, it's hard to government. know. And that's a really interesting thing that I've not heard any, I have not heard frequently voiced, but it does seem like it was in the best interests of the people in charge for the kids to die and to uh get strung out and to not vote and to not participate in these movements because that 
really contributes to the death of punk is heroin. Uh, the 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 death of the first wave of punk. It's ki- it kills literally quite a few of them, and then it almost kills Iggy Pop. It almost kills David Bowie. It almost kills Richard Hell. It almost kills Nick Cave. It's just like. At this point, I'm convinced Iggy Pop can't. No, die. yeah, I mean it's incredible. Or he has been dead. Or he's been dead this whole time. It's definitely. That's why you always look so surprised. (laughs) (laughs) This ain't dirt. (laughs) (laughs) Another day on this ethereal plane. All right. He pops from Michigan. He's not British. Oh. No, that's what he sounds like. (laughs) But. But yeah. Um, But yeah. So like, it's a. It's not. That's the other reason he's so surprised. It's not. (laughs) What? I ain't dead old British, huh? It's not like a. (laughs) Michigan. Sorry. Sorry. I'm from Michigan, Scotland. <laughs> Michigan, England, maybe. If that's a place, I don't know. I'm dead, mate. Oh, it's a stooge. <laughs> mate. I'm dead. Good day, mate. Where am I from? But, uh... Are you doing Australian Jesus again? Always. Yeah. <laughs> Good day, yes, mate. Are. I'm Iggy Pop. Or maybe Jesus. But not of Nazareth. The point is, I don't think I'm dead. Um, but so that's how the band ends their initial run. They they go their separate ways. Uh, initial drummer Palm Olive was in the Raincoats, which I really love. The Raincoats are kind of like one of the first like folk punk bands. Like they have uh, those kind. Ooh, I hate those words together. Possibly more than alt country, but but they're right. good. I don't know. I'll allow it. They do this crazy version of Lola, which I love. It sounds like... They do too many creeps, too, right? I'm not sure. Is that no? I only really know this first album. I guess I didn't know them before. But I really like this album, The Raincoats by The Raincoats. And this was one of Kurt Cobain's favorite albums. And Kurt Cobain also Mm. lists, lists Cut as a favorite album. So this kind of... The, the positive of the band lives on, like the DIY-ness of them, the uh, the doing things on your own terms. Like they really do strike a chord with a lot of people that aren't always like obviously, like there's the obvious things like the Riot Girl movement that springs up like mm-hmm. the punk, punk rock, fe- uh, female-fronted punk rock bands, clearly, and like Slater Kinney has been very referential of them, like, um, in interviews, uh, uh, um, oh my God, Courtney Love named Hole as a reference to the slits, and um, I didn't know that. I mean, I like I made the connection between the two bands, obviously, but just didn't know that it was so direct. Yeah, so I mean, like they do the spirit of the slits extends much more than their success, and they really and like that's something that's yeah. really sweet that Ari like talks about that like. As much as I burnt them out their initial run, like she said, they they reform in like the mid two thousands. They put out an EP. Uh, Viv, Hid, Palm Olive don't come back. Viv comes back for like a couple live gigs, but she really kind of stops doing music in general. She puts out a solo album, but it's just she gets kind of burnt out and focuses more on different kinds of art now. Um, she just had a really bad experience with the music industry and just it wasn't for her she didn't need it is her own words like, i don't need that <laughs> and i think now palm Olive lives in like a weird christian cult but uh so that's why she didn't 
you know, or well, they would call themselves a sect, but whatever. I gotcha. Okay. Uh, but like so. Well, they don't use that word, so you know it's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cults don't usually call themselves cults. Mm. Great. Uh, but uh, but Tessa and Ari reform with some uh, different young uh, musicians, and uh, they put out a new album called Trapped Animal, which is uh, okay. It's not as good as the first two. It's definitely more. <laughs> It is maybe a little bit more uh, confused about what it wants to be. I think than some of the other ones. It's probably, but it's not bad either. Like I do, I, I liked what I listened to. Well, it's also, I mean, that came out what, like, how many decades after, and with, you know, just like a sliver mm. of the original yeah. members too. It's like barely. I guess, and you know, maybe it's partly because she had not, she had lived in Jamaica for a long time. It's more of, Ari does more of a patois on, on that album, which I don't like when white people do a patois, but also... It's ugly, it's really but it's ugly. But it's not, I, again, I want to give, like, she did at least actually live there, like, try to walk the way, but it's also still appropriative. It, it, it certainly feels appropriative. Yeah. Uh, even if it is not coming from that place, and like she, like you know, it... no, then it's gentrification. Yeah, I guess that's the best <laughs> case there. I don't know. It's appropriation uh, until you move there. Then it's gentrification. Yeah, and then um, <laughs> she passes away of cancer, and she gets breast cancer and dies in. Uh, Ari right. is. Uh, she dies in twenty ten. Oh, that's interesting. In the documentary, they sort of, they, I mean, they, they discuss her death, obviously, but it's like nobody knows uh, why it is. So maybe that was something well, that came out after the documentary. I don't know. Was. Well, she gets breast cancer and then does not also, it's hard to know if the cancer killed her or if being too punk rock killed her because she died on her own terms as she lived. She refused to get chemotherapy in Johnny Rotten's words, because she didn't want her dreads to fall out. Uh, I, I'm sure there was maybe more... Johnny Rotten, I have a complex feelings about, because he's a complicated guy. He does uh, take... she He does, like, adopt her children while she's still alive, because she really struggled with being a single mother. She One of her husbands... Or like longtime lovers was shot and killed in Jamaica, so it, it could be more that she was traumatized, rightfully. But she struggles with it, yeah. and he says that she like really couldn't raise her kids, so he adopts them, which is, and he stayed with her. He has stayed with her mom, for since the seventy, like for over thirty years. So he does seem very loving, and he did try. He said like that we spent like a lot of money trying to get her the best therapy in the world, but she she didn't. She wanted to consult. Uh, he says the term witch doctors, and I don't know what she really did. We don't know, because she died. We don't really know her side of the story. So, it, 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 but it was on her terms, which is the, the, the cool part of it. But it's also really sad because uh, it seemed most punk rock way. It to does go, seem though. like it was possibly quite an avoidable death, but maybe that's not what she wanted, yeah. and. Um, uh, so he seems a bit more dismissive of her than I think is fair, but then also it isn't, you know, he was raising her kids, so maybe he was just upset. But Johnny Rotten is 
you know, he seems like he really loves his wife. He seems like he did have a lot of good intentions. But he also voted for Trump. He's kind of uh, he's kind of a mess of contradictions, and I don't I don't know. That's why I will always like Joe Strummer more in the Clash more than the Sex Pistols. Like they're. Well, who is having that conversation? I mean, is that really yeah. a question? Well. It is somehow. There is, like, I, I re-listened to their first album, and a lot of people are like, best punk band ever, best punk album. Sex yeah. Pistols? Because I know. Also, don't they just yeah. have the one? But I just, like, I wanted to give it a fair chance while I was listening to this, and it's, like, <clears throat> it's not a bad album by any stretch, but it is. And I think uh, Viv says this about a lot of the other punk bands. It's just like, they're just playing rock and roll. Like, like they get credited for being, like, breaking the rules. But they were just doing rock and roll, but faster and angrier. Like, it's like, they're yeah. like, we actually did break the rules. We didn't play what we were supposed to play. And that is a cool thing about this album. But, yeah. So, uh, I think that's all my research. Uh, and they got a bit of a... A bummer, but that was the end of the slits. Is that Ari died, and there really is no slits without her, unfortunately. But uh, I think Tessa is still uh, playing, and they they uh, Viv is has written some books that are very like well, like so her memoirs have, are pretty well regarded. So she seems like a really cool person. Um, but yeah, do you guys want to like listen to any tracks, talk about anything else, or uh, just jump into? other uh let's listen to a couple of tracks let's go through them i like that the album does start the first song is called instant hit and it's it's funny because it it's like a song about a boy but instead of being a normal like pop song about a boy it's about how he's addicted to heroin and is set to self-destruct like it's what they say so it's mm-hmm. about the first guitarist of uh, the classic I Keep Levine. So this is also like this album is also really calling out the punk movement as much as it is uh, thinking like I think maybe one of my favorite songs we'll get to is Ping Pong Affair, which is just about how shitty it was for them to date Mick Jones. That was a really good one. I was really big fan of Ping Pong Affair and Typical Girls. Typical Girls was yeah. the lead single, which again the studio didn't want to do, and they wanted it to be heard it through the grapevine. They're like, nope, that's the B side. Typical Girls is the single, <laughs> and that actually was a bit of a success for them. That the single sold okay compared to the album. I just love like it just morphs <laughs> like. Like, they have this, like, little reggae backbeat, but then, like, they'll just go into these weird rhythmic holes and then come out of them. It is interesting thinking about what they played live versus what this became. And it makes me think about, like, Brian Eno to Devo. When you listen to Hardcore Devo, then you listen to their first album. Yeah. And it is like hearing those songs through a Brian Eno filter. <laughs> um, what uh, what what else you want to listen to? Let's not listen to Ping Pong Fair. Yeah, definitely. This is my favorite. Why 
just, it's like, bare, it doesn't sound like the same band. That's, I think this is also one of like the best lyrically, like that's such a pointed diss, like while you were sulking I could have been raped because he like didn't walk her home after a fight, <laughs> like it's just really awesome. The guitar through the whole album is really bizarre because it's just so it's all texture, empty for yeah. a punk album. Yeah. And like another evening without getting cut up. Like it's just, it really speaks more to what young women were actually going through than what songs would. Like that. Like, but yeah, no, my fear is getting raped and murdered, not like being heartbroken. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it reminds me of, do you guys know uh, Courtney Barnett? Oh, yeah. I really like her, but she's got a song that feels like a spiritual successor to this, is where the whole chorus is men worry that someone will laugh at them, <laughs> women worry about getting killed. <laughs> like, just like we don't have the same concerns. Yeah. <laughs> I really love uh, Ari's vocals very much on the album. Like, she has a great voice. Mm. Yeah. And she just goes... And it, it, it's kind of like Betty Davis in some ways. Like, less less refined, but, like, just, like, of using her voice as it... Like, she makes noises. She, like, goes in and out of different things. Like, it's very... Um, yeah, uninhibited. Yeah. Right. I don't think Betty Davis ever pissed on the stage, but I think she was probably not too far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if wanna... she had been drinking, she probably might have. <laughs> do you want to put on uh, Typical Girls? Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. You want to hear Typical Girls? And it's got like a music video with yeah, the it's two, like right? Yeah, like that minute gazebo. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> I love this like little like pop piano just around chaos. Reggae and rockabilly at the same time. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Although this whole breakdown the part of this song is like it's very clashy to me. It just sounds just like the clash. If you ask hmm. me. And allow me to. Dana, what do you think of the breakdown in the song? Uh, it sounds just like the Clash. <laughs> huh. <That's, laughs> come right out and say it. Well, I'm glad you did. Come on. Mm. I mean, they were, like, you know, they were on the same, same shit. It's that so. reggae and punk kind of yeah. kind of fusion into it. You know what it is? Is that 
one day they played the same show and their notebooks got switched in the middle of writing a song. <laughs> and so Joe Strummer took her notebook and he was like, oh, what's all this then? And then Ari took his notebook and she was like, what's all this then? What is all this I then? To say that I discovered this album because of Ari collaborating with one of my favorite artists, uh, Vic Ruggiero, who's a uh, in the band the slackers and so that's how like she did like a duet with him now do an impression of him why <laughs> <laughs> do it joe because <laughs> every- <laughs> we've done an impression of everybody else <laughs> okay <laughs> hey it's me Vic- <laughs> <laughs> i was Whoa. like oh is he not gonna do it <laughs> hey it's me <laughs> Hey, it's me. How's it going? Oh, I'm in a band. <laughs> I'm a multi-instrumental. It's funny because he actually has a really distinct <laughs> voice that I'm just choosing not to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I'm glad you guys liked it. Let me talk for way too long about it. Of course, we Joe. We all learned a lot, I think, uh, this one. Uh, and I, like, I was not expecting to enjoy the album as much as I did and I think that has a lot to do with my own negative predisposition to punk but like this one is definitely there's something like very special about it and it's not just because they're all women and it's not just because it's like a weird like cross-section of reggae and punk I think just like it's it's everything just comes together you know Seamlessly. Yeah, there's so, there's something about like even like these like four five people like if you count the producer like even them all coming together like another time might not have made this it's just like something about like this album yeah. is just like a, a weird moment out of time that like worked somehow. Mm. For sure. It's like how every period of time has a like a movie about the future from the 80s will look different from the, about the movie about the same period of time from the 70s. Yeah, yeah. It's like yes. <laughs> something that out of time can still only happen within that weird period of time. Yeah. That is profound. Yes. <laughs> well, cool. What have you guys been listening to? Oh, let um, me... Oh, well, oh right. Well, hold on. Should we yeah. do... So, for... Every week we do how many degrees removed is our album of the week from the late great Frank Zappa. And I believe Cut is two degrees away from Frank Zappa because in uh, the reformed version of the split, uh, Nina Cherry joins the band. She is daughter of jazz trumpeter Don Cherry. And he just, in a random one-off, Played with Frank Zappa in Copenhagen in 1968. What? So, uh, wow. that, weird. That exists. That's awesome. It's very strange, but it's really cool that this just somebody recorded it and uploaded it, which is true Thank of God. a lot of Zappa stuff. And there's a photo to prove it, which is kind of cool. This is yeah, crazy. That's <laughs> like, there, it, it, when I learned that uh, Nina Cherry like was in the slits or like tour you know toured with them at the very least 
like, and I, you know, realized, like, oh, like, of daughter Don Cherry, and Don Cherry was actually, actually toured with them, I believe, yeah, as well, like, while... He liked the early punks and, like, hung out with them. He was, like, pretty influential for, like, pro- producing crazy. and, like... like I was just blown away by that because that's just like, to me that those are just two different worlds, like avant-garde jazz and you know, punk reggae, and they just never never meet. But I guess they did. Weird. I do not know him at all. Yeah, he played. He played with oh, man. Miles would... and Colt. Like he's as legit as it gets. I huh. would love to do a Don Cherry album. My my Instagram handle actually, Organic Music Society, is a Don Cherry album. This is Don Cherry from House of Lies. Yes. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know what that is. House of Lies, is that a show? With Don Cheadle. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I should have seen that. Uh, edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> it, cut the whole thing. Right. Hey, so that's uh, that's it. Only two degrees. Pretty cool. Not bad. Good find. Yeah, very wild. random that... I was interested in what it was because you had told me that it was like a complete fluke that you had come across Yeah, because I just wanted to see if... I was looking him up, and I just, like, randomly typed in. I'm just like, yeah, let's see if Zappa liked jazz. So let's see if he has... Like, I thought maybe right. he played with somebody who played with Zappa. Then it's like, nope, there was this one random Zappa blogger was like, I found it. It is, like, Don Cherry. Holy shit. And so he uploaded it. Ooh. And then uh, what have you guys been listening to? I sent you a. I sent you a link to a song by this band whose name I don't know how to pronounce. It's a French name. It's French for new wave, is what it is. But it's this collective of musicians that just do uh, covers of pop music. Huh. Mostly new wave music. So new wave being what kind of followed punk, and it's like a little more, it's like more of a mix of pop and punk, but more pop forward. It's like post punk wasn't so upset about yeah. it. Yeah. I feel like I feel like that's like stuff like post punk is the spirit of punk. And it's still angry, but it's getting weirder. The new wave is the spirit of punk, but it's like, we're just having a good time with it. Yeah, like Blondie is like the quintessential I always think of Elvis Costello. Oh, yeah. Oh. I recognize it now. It's very just like nice, relaxing stuff. It's fun to drive around at night listening to. But they do like a really good cover of. Uh, I heard about them because they're actually in Planet Terror that Robert oh, yeah. Uh They were their cover of Too Drunk to Fuck by the Dead Kennedys. Drunk to F. <laughs> <laughs> Don't spell it out. 
They kennen these I also really respect for calling out Nazi shit in the LA punk scene. So it's always been an issue. <laughs> but there's always been cool fans fighting it. I danced all night. I drank 16 years and started up a fight. But now I'm cheated. You're out of luck. <laughs> I'm rolling down the stairs to you drunk to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's delightful. It's such yeah. it it's such fun music. I mean, all their albums. That's, that's that's awesome. Thank you. Al. Um. Okay. Well, my my pick for this week, I couldn't be in a farther different direction. I don't think. Um. So it's this uh this guy. ICP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just can't get into punk, but uh, I'm down to clown. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out I'm super down to clown. Um, no, this, so this, uh, Sukumar Prasad is the name of uh, this guitarist, um, and I think he was originally a, uh, like, a sitar player um, who, like, he was, you know, trained in Indian classical music and uh, picked up an electric guitar somewhere along the way, uh, and then, you know, just got into to playing the electric guitar. And if you skip around in this, because it's just one long track, I think it's eleven minutes long, but but like he really shreds, uh, and it's like it's a very interesting way of playing the guitar and. Unfortunately, I think this, and then maybe there's like one other track that exists, like of this guy uh, playing. That's it. And, and and I think that's it. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm on. It's a. You can get it. It's released as a tape from uh, BioVita Records, uh, distributed through Mississippi Records. Um. And the tape is only eight bucks, and I definitely recommend it if you're somebody who buys tapes. Um. So it says he was honored by the Madras music community for his efforts in 1981, conducted two tours in his time as an active musician, one in the USA in 1988 and one in Australia in 1989. His only release, this cassette, was issued in 1985 and is long out of print. And then he disappeared from public, the public eye and is rumored to be a member of a religious community and has no interest in releasing further recordings uh, in any serious capacity. Whoa. Yeah, he's like, I, I don't know, I just, I, I, I found this video on YouTube, and I'm almost certain, because I looked up this record label, BioVita, I'd never heard of them before, I love Mississippi Records, but BioVita I'd never heard of before, and they do, like, digital, like, uh, releases only, but they, like, make them physical, so, like, I really have a feeling that that the tape is just, like, a rip from this YouTube video <laughs> put onto tape, but, like, gotta respect the hustle, I guess. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's very cool. Cool. Couple of tracks by this guy. And uh, we'll put a link to all these on a YouTube playlist. You can search for Super Best Friend Music Show playlist. And you can find all this stuff on there.
guy too, the Sigmar Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool picture. He's got one hell of a mustache. He sure does. He's like a. And he's got quite the helmet on. <laughs> wow, that's very cool. Yeah, and that's just the link to the uh, how to get the tape. If anybody wants to I am the grass. <laughs> um, cool. So I guess that's yeah, everything. So right? that's that's it for this that, week. There's only one thing left. What are we doing next week? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, so next week is going to be another pick of mine, and uh, we're going to talk about um, Laurie Spiegel and her album, The Expanding Universe. And if you're not familiar with Laurie Spiegel, she is a pretty prolific uh, pioneer in electronic music, um, and she like created this program uh, called Music Mouse to, to write this uh, this album and compose it and um, it's actually like I was not really sure about what album I was going to talk about um, there was nothing like immediately jumping out at me this Laurie Spiegel's record The Expanding Universe is one that I probably picked this record out of my collection like more than any other record because it's just like it's it's always the right time for it you know like I was saying earlier like I, I think Alan, you said you, or no, Joe, you said you put on ambient music when you like don't want to think about stuff. <laughs> I feel like this music kind kind of does that for me, in a way. Um, but it's it's timely because there's actually this movie coming out like this week, I think, uh, called Mortal Sisters Kombat. with <laughs> <laughs> yeah, called Mortal Kombat. Um, no, it's called Sisters with Transistors, and it's it's about. Uh, women in who were like pioneering this like synthesizer music scene uh, in the early 70s uh, and uh, late 60s and uh, Laurie Spiegel's featured in it Pauline Oliveros Suzanne Chiani and so I think it's gonna be like a it, we're gonna talk about Laurie Spiegel and the expanding universe the album itself but uh, in general I think that a lot of people's like perception of electronic music is like this is like DJs and dudes and like that's kind of it but there were like some women and you know few and much fewer than there were you know men obviously but um some some women who like really made like huge huge marks on the electronic music scene and the ripples of that are still being felt and uh Unseen Worlds released uh, or reissued this expanding universe um, and Unseen Worlds is actually another Laurie Spiegel record so like their whole record label is named after after Laurie Spiegel uh, and yeah I'm really excited to talk about it I absolutely adore this album I, and I can't wait for you guys so to hear cool. it if you haven't thank it. you nice yeah, I'm excited and, yeah yeah and I'll, I'll try and send you guys a link to watch that Sisters with Transistors too because I think that that will give everybody a little more context and yes. I'm just really excited to see it myself. Yeah, I have always struggled with electronic music and then recently like discovering ambient like learning that there's more to it. <laughs> and this might be very similar to how you felt about punk, that there's just like my misconceptions have really kept me from diving in for a long time and so I'm excited to just learn more. Mm. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a fun one. I'm I'm really excited to talk about it. Well, 
Thanks, you guys. Next week. Always a blast hanging out with you. Uh, if you guys enjoyed listening to us blab with each other, then uh, you can let us know by rating, reviewing, subscribing on Apple Podcasts because uh, it helps us out. So we're not just um, shouting into the void. Thank you. <laughs> sorry, I was just describing what I was doing. I'm sorry, I was just shouting into the void. <laughs> Very self-referential with the void. <laughs> Uh, right, but thanks, yeah, guys. thanks everybody. We'll talk to you all next week. Uh, good, but goodbye, good, goodbye, goodbye, <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> good, good morrow, fine goodbye. listeners. <laughs>